said he'd probably do it again, but he's got to work now for a while. Well, he he was able to afford this because we gave him the ticket. Because yeah, his car was seven hundred bucks to rent that car. To rent the car was like seven hundred. would have been half. It would have been a lot cheaper, right? Where?
Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Doing good. Glad to hear it. Glad to be with you. Hello, Leonard. How's it going? All right, how you doing? Good. Well, if you want, I can stand up and we'll pray and we'll praise God. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. We pray that you work in all our lives and as we hear your word and praise you that we move closer to you today. We become better servants, uh, better church, better family. Uh, so just uh, work in us today, we pray. And um, pray for Leonard. And just give him clarity of thought for what you've put on him and give us the ears to hear your word today. And pray for just everybody in this building, God. Just put more of ourselves down this morning and take more of you up. Uh, so we got a lot of a lot of prayer concerns, a lot of people hurting right now and just tough situations. So uh, in the midst of all that, we know you're with us and getting us through it. So just uh, however we can be your light to all the people in our in our circle, in our group as a church, that um, we can show your love to them and be your light to them. And, Help however we can. So we praise you and we give you this time. Amen. This time of desperation When all we know is down new life we believe 
He's coming back. He's coming back again. We believe one more time. We believe in God the Father. We believe. Well, go ahead and have a seat for just a second, everybody. Um, hopefully you got one of these uh, little pieces of paper as you came in. Uh, it tells us everything that's happening at First Christian, and there's definitely been a lot of things happening lately, and we'll continue to probably do so as we move into the fall. Um, but wanted to remind you that at the bottom, if you've uh, ever scanned a, um, uh, oh gosh, I keep saying UPC code, but uh, I know it's some other kind of code. Um, but... QR code. Yeah, just seeing if you guys knew. Passed. A plus. Uh, scan the QR code. It'll, it'll link you to uh, a, a, a web page that will ask you if you have prayer needs. Anything that you have on your heart, feel free to just uh, add that on that page. It's very user-friendly. Just kind of one scan, and then you're off and running. So some people like to do it that way as far as sharing what you have as a need in your life, pastorally, or something that um, you want us to keep lifted up in prayer, uh, we definitely want to do that. Um, and if you just want to tell us old school, I uh, always call the office, or you can see me or anybody that looks like what they're knowing what they're doing around here. And uh, we're happy to pray for you. we got a lot of prayers in this place, and, and I just think that that uh, is the thing that makes it work. Uh, so glad you're here, and I know God is always at work every time we gather every Sunday. And he's always got something to say because he wants to build us up however he uh, needs to do that. Uh, so I hope you trust that. Just uh, real quickly, um, don't forget to take a look at this. But I, I want to introduce you again. Uh, if you haven't met, uh, Amy, Amy Bordenaro, or is it Nero or Naro? I just always call her Amy. So I, I probably say her name probably three times since we've, we've gotten to know each other. Okay, well, there you go. This is Miss Amy, and Hello. she's going to tell you about what's happening with the kids. We're so glad you're here. I mean, we are so excited. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes, everyone calls me Miss Amy, and so that's fine. No, re There's a lot of vowels in the last name. It's not necessary. So good morning, church. Good morning, family. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to be here. I have three things to share this morning, this week and next week, um, because they're important. So the first thing I have to share is thank you. I want to thank you. From the bottom of my heart, my family, this church has been so welcoming and so loving. And the smiles and the hugs and the encouragement and the support, it's just been just uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. My heart is overflowing. So I appreciate that and I'm so excited. I told anyone who I talked to at the Donut Social that I am promised to work really hard and we have been working really hard. And I'm excited about that. So the second thing I want to tell you today is um, what we have coming new in the fall um, because there's lots of new and exciting things. So um, we're going to go through these slides real quick. 
Uh, this is the new logo for First Christian Church Salem, Kids and Student Ministries. And so that is my title, Kids and Student Ministry Director. Um, so whenever you see this on uh, this visual, as Brittany does such an awesome and amazing job doing all things, then you know that that relates to uh, Kids and Student Ministries. Okay, next slide. This is the new logo for Pathfinder. So if you have a student, um, a kid, a grandkid, niece, nephew, anything, uh, that they will be from newborn through third grade, this is the new Pathfinders program that we have. And it's, this will all be launching on September 11th, like it says in, to, in your um, bulletins. Uh, Pathfinder stands for this amazing wing we have in uh, the church, the children's wing, that looks like we are going on a bear hunt or an excursion or something. So I chose Pathfinders, meaning that we are going to partner alongside you and your families to help them find the path as they begin their journey with God. And so we are now the Pathfinders. Okay, next slide. And then for the fourth and fifth graders, we have a new group called the Flames. They helped me pick this name. They're very excited about it. Um, because really when we start our journey and we find the path and we've journeyed for a little bit, the next thing we need to do is learn how to have a fire so that we can stay warm. And so our job with the fourth and fifth graders is to help them start a fire, their own fire for their love of God. And so we are going to be called the Flames, and we have so many new and exciting things for the Flames. All right, next slide. All right, then we have the Lift Mentor Program. This is the 6th and 12th graders. If you are a church student or a um, church kid here and you are a student, we are building a new mentorship program. So when you see this logo, that will be the mentor program. This is not just for if you are a student here, but for all of you to say, hmm, that might be a way that I can serve and be a part of something. Okay, next slide. This is the Young Adults all right, we are going to work on having a new young adult that, that when you graduate through 30, what does it look like here for you? Because that is a crucial age, and so we will have something here for you. So that's what that looks like. I think there's one slide maybe in between there that maybe we missed. If not, it's okay. You can go to the next one. All right, this logo, if you see this, this is for everyone, whether you are a kid age 2 or you are a kid age 102. All right, I very much believe in the verse from John 17, 21, where Jesus says, Lord, let them be as one as you and I are one, so that the world may know that I am real. So in order for us to be one, we have to do things together like a family. And sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's hard, but it always glorifies God. So whenever you see this new logo, these are the things that we're going to be doing together as a church family. And so this might be a way that you want to be able to help. Okay? Is there one that says lift in between there by any chance? That one. Okay. This is the new logo for the 6th through 12th graders. And so this might be a way that you want to help and serve. So if you are a student from 6th to 12th grade, then this is the logo that, and we will be meeting on Sunday evenings, and that looks a lot different as well. So church family, my third thing that I wanted to say today is my request for you. In order for all of this to happen, the logos are nice and shiny. Brittany's done an amazing job helping us put them forth. But now the reality is I cannot do this alone. It's that we need to come together as a family, and I need your help. Because in order to implement this, then we all need to work together. However, this does not mean that you have to cut off your right arm, and I need to take three pints of blood, and you're committed for the next seven years of your life. That's not what that looks like. You might want to say, hey, I can help twice a year. Or, hey, I can, I can be a greeter on Sunday mornings, you know, once a month. 
or I can help once a semester, or I actually really love kids and I'd like to be there every other week. Whatever it looks like for you, but your participation and help and partnering with us to reach this very crucial and important and valuable next generation is how this is going to become a success. So I need your help with that. So we have two opportunities for you to learn about that in that you can come into the parlor today for just a few minutes and I can show you that and tell you about that. Or you can join us next week in the parlor for a few minutes because I know everyone's busy. Or just sign up in the studio and uh, we will reach out to you. So let us know if you have any questions and so excited just working alongside all of you. So thank you. Thank you. I can't tell you how grateful I am that Amy has uh, been called to First Christian, that God has led her here, and uh, that you guys have been so warm in your acceptance of her. I mean, it really is uh, a good time to thrive. And one thing I've, I've noticed about Amy in the time that we've spent with her is that she does kind of inspire hope. And, uh, you know, we usually have like a hazing process with new people that come on board, and we're like, we're just going to delete that this time, and she's just going to hit the ground running. And that's what she's done. And we're like, Amy, we're out of breath, can't keep up. So uh, I'm so excited to have her uh, with us, working with our kids, uh, just leading in that space. And I'm excited to be working with our staff and our elders because everything is reinforcing uh, everything else. And we're trying to keep it that way, where we're all working together to try to build uh, our church, especially invest in our kids and do things that hopefully will reflect the presence of the kingdom in Salem, Ohio. And uh, if you're on board with that, then God may be moving you into some kind of a role. And if you're new here, uh, maybe you're looking for a purpose and God is saying, this might be the place where I'm leading you because I believe that's how the Lord works. Uh, but before we get into the message time, I do want to just hit a few things regarding prayer concerns. Uh, pray for uh, Wendell Goddard. Uh, Wendell's had a really rough week. Uh, he was supposed to get some uh, uh, a procedure done for his uh, uh, liver cancer, and they were unable to do it. So he's very discouraged. Then he fell last night. He's uh, in the hospital, or at the, and I think he's in the hospital, or or maybe back home. But he had to go to the emergency room. And I don't know the details of that. So uh, Karen, do you know anything more about that? Okay. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep him lifted up. And Virginia Bond had a seizure, seizure just a while back, and uh, she's doing good, but she was in the hospital, and she's now in rehabilitation at Auburn. Uh, so you know how beloved Virginia is here. So if you get a chance to call her, send her a card or something, uh, either, either one of these guys, and let them know uh, that they're loved and in your prayers. Um, let's see, there's one more that I'm missing here. Um, if I think about it during the sermon, I'll stop and we'll mention that. Okay. Yes, Diane. Gail. Yes, Gail. Okay. Uh, Gail Hill uh, also had a rough week. Um, she's uh, got a, a, a not encouraging diagnosis regarding her cancer. And um, so a lot of us kind of surrounded her this week and tried to help her with some things. And she was deeply appreciative. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a struggle for her. And she lives at Diane's house uh, with Diane's uh, family. And, um, and it's a very 
perfect place for her to be. Um, are they calling in hospice or is there anything relative to that? Okay. 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 Yeah, okay. Three to six months with things metastasizing the way they have. Uh, so please keep Gail Hill lifted up. And also, uh, if you get the urge, uh, God prompts you to encourage her, please do. Um, we need one another, especially when we're going through very dark valleys. There's nothing like another believer coming alongside and saying, hey, we're with you. And if you've been through that, well, there's Gail right there. Gail, awesome. <laughs> we're so glad you're with us. Yeah. So um, Gail's a beautiful soul, and um, you know we've been praying for you. So we're going to uh, do the Lord, we're going to pray, do the Lord's Prayer, and then get into the message. So uh, would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we know that you um, have come into this world to defeat uh, the presence of evil so that we can be set free and know uh, forgiveness and know restoration and reclamation and ultimately uh, be renewed for your kingdom and transformed into people that hopefully embody uh, the presence of Jesus. And Lord, that is an impossible order for us to accomplish on our own. And so we come here with surrendered hearts, trusting that you and you alone <clears throat> uh, are, are the only one who is capable of making those things happen in and through our lives. And I thank you for, for all of us in the room who have surrendered our lives to you and trusted you in the living hope uh, that you are in the business of making all things new as you seek and you save that which is lost and us being included in that salvage operation. <clears throat> so, Father, we are grateful. And as we sit in the gratitude of your promises, of your work, of your story, we also are aware that there are those around us who are going through uh, some deep struggles. And we pray, Father, that you would give them a spirit of encouragement, a spirit of healing, and just help them to know that they are not alone. And I pray, Father, for Wendell. I just ask that you help him through the uncertainty of the moment regarding where this goes and what this means. And just help him, Lord, with the, the fall and to recover from that. Be with Virginia, just strengthen her as she recovers her mobility once again and just uh, tries to overcome some big obstacles. And thank you for family that is close by that are such a source of, um, of, of love and care. And we also pray for Gail. We thank you, Father, for making her your child and for just calling her to be a part of your family. And thank you, Father, that you have been alongside her through this whole journey. And though we keep her lifted up in prayer with uh, confident expectation, we, at the end of the day, we trust you with her and trust you as our healer and as the ultimate healer. And so we thank you for all those things that lend to that hope that we, we subscribe to and hopefully we live out. Uh, as we gather, I know there are burdens that have been brought into this room, and I just ask that if there's anyone, Lord, that um, you're prompting to uh, share that with, uh, with, with, 
with the church, uh, please just help them to follow through on that so we can lift those things up. And if there are people who are hurting who need encouragement, I pray that through your word they would find it. And I ask, Father, that as we align our hearts and our minds around your purposes, we thank you for Amy, who's doing uh, such a wonderful job, just complementing the work that you've already been establishing here. And we are just trusting you to uh, coordinate and collaborate through your spirit, orchestrating things so that kids can be built up and families can be healthy and, and thriving and we as a church can be on mission. So align our hearts as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, how many of you have ever went to vacation Bible school or camp or just church somewhere and sang the Zacchaeus song? You guys know it? Zacchaeus was what? Oh, well, Amy's got it. All right. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And that's a great story to learn when you're a kid and you're in camp. Um, but there's a lot of layers to Zacchaeus that we're going to explore today, and I think it's going to be helpful for us to take a look at his life and maybe just uh, overlay our own on top of where he's at and discover something maybe we are, are, are in need of that perhaps we haven't paid a lot of attention to. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be uh, just taking a peek at verses 1 through 10. And um, if you've been following with us through Luke, um, you know that uh, Jesus is in sort of a roundabout way going to Jerusalem to meet his destiny and to basically um, change everything with a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. And along the way, he's proclaiming good news about why he has come into the world. And there are a lot of people who are very confused about who he is and what he's all about. And then there are other people that are saying, I am so glad that finally there is a voice of hope. And so here this guy is along, uh, along the way. And so Luke picks it up here. He says, Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone, well, basically, he's gone to the dark side because he's being a guest of a trader, a tax collector. Not only that, the chief one. He is a sinner against our community and against all things representative of God. 
And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, which is a pretty volatile thing to say in a crowd of people that hate tax collectors. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, where have we heard that before? Right around Luke 15, prodigal son, remember that? The thing I want to assure you is that um, if you've come to church for the first time or for the hundredth time, and your life is not perfectly aligned with God, don't believe the myth that lightning bolts are going to come down, the roof's going to collapse in, uh, that uh, you know something bad is going to happen. You are exactly where God wants you. You are here because God worked through things to get you into this space where when he shows up, you're able to see him. Now, there's a guy that we're getting ready to uh, not only think about through the song, but also what his life looked like. And if you can imagine a, a, a person who is looking at the world around him, and he's saying, I've got questions about my life, my destiny, where it's all going, my hopes, my aspirations. And it would seem that the stuff that is so janky going on at the temple, where what should be happening isn't happening, and what is happening is supposed to represent God, but all that it's doing is causing people to feel disheartened. And he just took it to another level. And he said, I really don't have any hope in this institution. I don't have any hope in the way that I see our story as the children of Abraham being described. I'm just going to kind of approach life like, well, God, take him or leave him. He really doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to get what I can out of life. And then he was looking at the back of the one ads one day, and there was an opportunity of a lifetime. And it said, make six-figure income. And it described a little bit about what that would be. And just contact your local Roman provincial officer, and he will hook you up. Uh, so he got into that conversation, and he discovered that the Roman way of life is truly a different way of life, but it could be very lucrative. And as it turns out, I don't know all of his story, but I can, I can assure you that the bottom line is he felt shut out from the way the community was directing him to God. And he said, I don't care. I'm just going to get what I can out of life. But inside of him, there was this sense, there must be a God, there must be a reason to hope, and there must be a better way. I'm just not finding it. And so I'll just work out a deal with the Romans and be a tax farmer. And he's described as a ruler, which meant that he was other, over other tax collectors, and he got his cut. So he was doing pretty good. But there was just something inside of him that said, there's got to be more. And I don't know that he gave up hope, but I got to think hope was just kind of on the pause button for now. And that's an interesting word, isn't it? I'm reminded of a story. It happened in 1927 off the coast of Cape Cod. There was a submarine that was uh, doing some maneuvers in that area, and then there was a, a Coast Guard boat 
Uh, the submarine, um, the, the name of the submarine, I'll give you the name here. Uh, it is the, um, uh, uh, the SS, it's just SS-1. And uh, there's a story about it, but um, I can give you more data on that later on. But that's what it looked like in 1927. As that submarine was coming in, uh, after it was doing maneuvers around Cape Cod, there was a Coast Guard boat going out. And um, the two weren't aware that uh, the presence of one another was in such close proximity uh, until it got to a point where uh, one saw the other and they both diverted. And what happened is essentially is they ran into each other. And as horrifying as it would have been for people on the submarine, the captain just was beside himself because he knew that this probably meant a sure death for all the people that were aboard. And the conditions being what they were, it was, it was a little bit stormy, and it was hard for uh, any, any kind of connection to be made. Uh, the captain still threw out lifeboats. Divers went down. As the submarine is sinking down, uh, they were assured that all the people were lost, except there was a little portal, and it had... It was lit just well enough. You could see that there were occupants inside of it. And as it turns out, of the 40 people that were on the sub, six of them went to the torpedo room, shut the door, and just waited to see what would happen because they knew that they were sinking. And when divers went down and they saw them there, they heard a, they heard a tapping noise. And they didn't know what that meant other than they could just see the panic look on their faces. And then one of them happened to remember Morse code. And as he's listening to it, he's interpreting it, and it is, it, is, it, is, it is basically developing into a sentence that says, I, S, T, H, E, R, E, A, N, Y, H, O, P, E. Is there any hope? And that really was the question on the table because they're like, we're alive but we could be dying pretty soon, and we're fully aware that if there is no hope, then we might as well just surrender. And that question, is there any hope, uh, I think lingers in the air, not just with that group of people and their unique experiences, but perhaps everyone in this room. Because in our own mind, we come into life and we have hopes and dreams and aspirations, and then we get smacked down by things. We try our best to control circumstances so that things work out as they should, or, or sometimes uh, we don't, and then things kind of fall apart. But I, I, I would probably guess, myself included, that every one of us in this room has at least one thing that we are hoping for, one thing that we would like to see remedied, redeemed, brought back into order, perhaps just realized. And I know that us as a church, we were hoping and praying for a, a youth director, and one showed up, and she's a perfect fit. And you're like, yeah, that's great for a church, but what about me personally? What about that thing I have in my marriage where I'm thinking, is this ever going to be what it needs to be again? Or that, that child that I'm estranged from, Will we ever have family dinners where we gather and we restore those conversations once again? Or perhaps you are dealing with that medical need where you're wondering, is there any hope? 
And I don't know exactly what that looks like from your point of view. It could be I have a, a personal struggle with finances, and I don't know if this will ever get to a place where the two dots are connected. Or my hope could possibly be I have an addiction, and I don't think even as a believer I can ever overcome it. I don't know what it is that you brought into the room, but I got to think that if I talk to you long enough, and maybe if you ask me, um, you know, in, in a way that uh, uh, just said we can talk soul to soul, we'd each say, yeah, we've got that thing or that group of things. Now, the good news is you are in a place where hope takes on a very powerful and sometimes even volatile um, characteristic. But we're also living in a world that has this idea of hope that is very different than the way that God describes it. Now, if you were Zacchaeus and you were trying to collect money from your own people and give it to the Romans, chances are you're tuned in a little bit to the Roman way of life. And the Roman way of life, historians have actually said, is very different it's something that they said, we've never even seen that kind of a person in, 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 in real life in the world today. They just had a mentality that uh, is hard to describe other than they sincerely believed and affirmed that you should not approach life with the sense that there is hope. Because they didn't want their citizens, especially in the rearing of their children and bringing them up, they didn't want them to believe in some kind of pie-in-the-sky, otherworldly thing. They wanted them to do two things. They wanted to trust in the emperor and the peace of Rome and all that that meant for, well, the right people, but everybody else not so much. And they wanted the people as they grew up to think that there are only two things that you need to be aware of. There's reason and reality. And those are the only things you'll ever have or ever need. There's nothing beyond that. There's no God that's going to save you. There's no God that's going to take you into the afterlife. It's just reason and reality. Now, they've actually looked at the archaeology of that moment, and they've looked at what people wrote about that, and even the notes of children. And the children were instructed in something called the gymnasium, which was a catch-all for school. They were instructed to write down things that they felt like were adversities in life. And then they were told to look at those adversities and say, there is no hope. But there is reason and reality, and so how are you going to work this out? And so they're firmly conditioned to look at the world not as, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But not to even use the category or the word hope in any meaningful form as you go through life. So they're pretty cynical about it and pretty this-worldly. But you fast forward to today. We're kind of a Christianized country. That word hope is definitely in our vocabularies, like love and faith and stuff like that. Believer or non-believer, use that word. But when you hear the word hope, if you're paying attention, a person may say, I really hope my plane lands on time. I really hope I get a good night's rest tonight. I really hope that things will work out with those people. And you'll notice something when you hear that. Have you heard it like that? Hope sort of like, and some of you are like, I really hope those scratch-offs I bought this morning, they do it. 
I was at the gas station getting coffee, and I'm like, my hope was, I really want this cup of coffee before I go out to the pool party. And so I go and I get it, and I'm like, there's nobody at the line, and I'm just hoping nobody show up. Well, ding, somebody goes in. I'm like, oh, great. And then there's another one, ding, and somebody else comes in. I'm like, great. They probably want lottery tickets. So I'm not, look, I'm not judging anybody. You do whatever you want to do, but um, I'm just saying that. So I get in that two-second time frame when my coffee's finally done. I'm like, hurry up. And then I go and I get in line, and there's two other people. Well, the first person was pretty quick. Next guy, he's got a big old scratch off, and he says, can you, can you, uh, can you uh, uh, cash this in for $500? I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to take a lot of money. So then the manager uh, is, is called in. Can we do this? Can we do this? There's some debate going on, and I'm like, holy cow. I was hoping I'd get out of here fast, but it is not happening. And then I got my coffee, and I'm like, paid for it, off to the party. Now I can enjoy my reward. I saw Josh, and he said, I hope you brought me some coffee. <laughs> and Josh had brought uh, Brittany and I some donuts that morning. I'm like, uh, yeah, I got this for you. Here it is. <laughs> and that is the way life works, isn't it? You, there's no sure thing here. All you do is you just go through life. You have this sense of hope, but it's also tagged to uncertainty. You just don't know. And you could be like the Romans, and you could say, uh, all I have is reason and reality. And I know people that when they have a need in their life, or they're trying to work something out with somebody else, or they want to see reconciliation, they're not hoping or anything. They're just like, it'll either work out or it won't. I'll do my part. Hopefully, they'll do theirs. But I use the word hope. It's up to them to use theirs. And then there are other people that even come to church, and they say, I hope, I hope. God will show up. And then there's Zacchaeus, who gave up a long time ago, because there seemed to be a barrier between him and church. And even when this guy Jesus is showing up on the landscape, the people are, well, they're getting in the way. And that's what the scripture says. Digging into it, it was interesting because they said basically the crowd... Zacchaeus would be like, I can't see, and the crowd would sort of move in front of him. And every time he moved, they'd move in front of him. Like, we got to shut this guy out because we hate him. He's a traitor, and there's no way we're going to let him see Jesus. So to taunt him, they were just getting in the way. So he climbs up a tree. But the interesting thing was Jesus didn't care about any of that stuff. All he cared about was the fact that there's a guy that had hope, and he lost it, and he just said, hope isn't real. The Romans are right. There's just reason and reality. This ain't going nowhere. And I think he just sort of, well, he just kind of saddled himself in that. But there's a reason why hope is even a word, I believe, because there's something inside of us that says there has to be more. There has to be something better. Were we really designed for this? Were we designed like the writer of Ecclesiastes said, well, you're going to start life, and you're going to find out that no matter what you do, it just gets empty. And he finally says, it's all meaningless. doesn't mean a thing. I'm guessing Zacchaeus, little guy, 
read Ecclesiastes and said, it's all I need to know. And maybe you're coming into this place saying, well, I do have hope. I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in that song we just sang, which is so appropriate. Because what it is signaling to you and I is that there is a reality in play, whether we see it or not, that changes everything. It changes what we do here. It changes how I approach work. It changes what happens at the youth wing. It changes everything about your life every day if you really know what it means. And what I'd like for you to do is just kind of explore that with me as we, as we get into it, because the question is, is there any hope? And my question more specifically is, where do you need hope? Where do you need it? And I mentioned a minute ago that thing that you say, I'd like that fixed. That nags me all the time. It haunts me. And I'd love to see it restored. I'd love to see it made healthy. That's that thing. The good news is God knows that's the thing. And if all that stuff that we just sang is true, that, I believe, will make all the difference. So there is a hope that is described in the Bible that is not like the Romans and is not like our culture that says it's hope but it's uncertain hope. It is a confident belief that what God has promised, he will do. And biblical hope, I believe, and I know that um, it's embedded in a lot of the thinking here, is that one day it will all be redeemed and it will all be restored. Because there's a verse near the end of that song that we just sang, I believe in the resurrection. And the power of the resurrection is a signal to the whole world that even as Jesus proclaimed the kingdom to you and I, he is also saying that the things that get in the way between ourselves and God, namely our own shortcomings, the oppressive presence and bondage of evil, and death itself, are no longer a deep concern. That there is something beyond the empty tomb that says, this is the way. And Jesus has been on the way to Jerusalem for a long time, and he has been trying to show these people there is hope. And on the other side of that journey, he brings to bear a reality that changes everything. So I think a lot of us, when we are thinking about hope, it is deeply personal. And I don't want to leave you guys in Rome I don't want to leave you guys just stuck in our culture. I want you guys to leave here with a sense of there's a hope that has substance to it, that is going somewhere. And it is centered in a Savior who makes that happen. And the scripture that we just read is a foreshadowing of a life that is lived that follows and trusts Jesus without the knowledge of the crucifixion and without the knowledge of the resurrection. I got to think that Zacchaeus was one of those people in the early church that Jesus' brother James was sort of the head of that gathered for worship every Sunday. I got to think there were people in that gathering that used to hate him that said, your brother, your brother. 
Never thought I'd see the day. This is totally impossible and not making any sense whatsoever. But as we know, with God, all things are possible, even though we do the math and say, it's not going to work. Well, our Lord Jesus um, settles that issue now and, and in, the, in the coming time ahead. And as he does that, he's putting us in the crosshairs and he's asking us the question, where's your hope? Well, for the next few minutes, I'm just going to look at really three things. First one is, if we have a Jesus kind of hope, and it's a Jesus this side of the resurrection, not even a Jesus getting ready to go to die, that's the kind of hope we're talking about. You dare to desire something good that is impossible. Now, let me remind you, sin, the evil one, and death have been defeated. And they're going to probably get in the end of this picture somehow, but in the end, they will not have the last word. But even this side of death, we are saying, if you say what you say about the promises that we have all being yes in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 2.15, then I, I know you want to see this relationship restored. I know you want to see this person come to know the Lord. I know that you want to help me through my journey of healing. And I know there's an ultimate healing if it doesn't happen here on earth. But even as I bring that before you, I'm going to trust you with it for the here and now. But either way, I want to desire that thing that you put in my heart that needs to be made right. I mean, just imagine that person, and you're having a conversation like you've never had before. You don't have to go any farther than Zacchaeus to illustrate that. A member of the early church, and I'm sure faithfully attending to the needs of the people around him with what little wealth he had left. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the rich young ruler, and then we talked about this ruler. It's no accident that Paul uses, or Luke uses that language, because he's actually comparing two people. The one was a, well, not the rich young, the synagogue ruler. So the one was actually kind of a pastor over the people in front of him. But he had a good side hustle, so he made a lot of money. And he also enjoyed the fact that whenever he would go to places socially, he would get lots of accolades and lots of recognition. Matter of fact, if this earthly plane just went on forever, it would be awesome. And so in his mind, I need Jesus, but I kind of don't need Jesus. Jesus, can I add you to my collection of religious objects so that I can shine even the more brightly? And Jesus saw his heart and he said, sell it all and then follow me. Because something was getting in the way. And you read this story and there's a lot of little clues that says this is a parallel story to that one. Only... It seems like Jesus is calling this guy and saying, hey, can I eat at your house? But the guy is so despised, yet he's wealthy. And some of us think, well, Jesus calls me to get rid of all my wealth like the synagogue ruler. This guy says, I'll give up to half. And Jesus said, approved. So it's not really a question of 
what wealth you have, but what your relationship is to it and whether or not it's taking priority over your trust in God. And clearly this guy said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I've been ripping people off. I've been exploiting them. I think I'm starting to have a conscience again even. I'm going to trust you. And Jesus said, today, salvation's coming to your house. So there's no sin. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you could say before God, oh, I've done this, you could never forgive me. Yet when Jesus talks about it, he says, somebody asked your forgiveness, forgive them. If they ask you seven times in that same day, forgive them. If they ask you 49 times in that same day, forgive them. Because Jesus is in the business of forgiving us, knowing that we get stuck in things, but calling us to a better way of life. And I've discovered, as I've matured as a believer to some degree, the things that I used to be stuck in and fixated on just aren't even that interesting anymore. Because of the way of life that you've, you've kind of come to understand through years of trusting, through years of struggle, through years of knowing that God is at work in us in the messiness of our lives. The Apostle Paul actually spoke about this when he wrote a letter to the Romans, and he said, you guys, I know you were trained growing up, there is no hope, but there is. And they heard the good news, and they said, there's got to be more, and they jumped on board with being a part of a church. So Paul writes this beautiful letter to the Romans, and he describes so much about what it is to live the way of life in Jesus. But what I particularly like about it relative to what we're talking about today are these takeaways from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. You can just uh, see it on the screen if you like. Uh, let's jump to those scriptures. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified, that is made right through faith, like Zacchaeus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So he's saying basically Jesus is the Lord because he conquered death. He conquered evil that the devil no longer can say to him, uh, you're mine. Jesus said, you're done. And the power of the resurrection is at work in this sentence. And the people that have heard the story live in the grace of knowing we are not perfect in this life, but we're also not hopeless. And he draws that out by saying, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There is a vision that is repeatedly mentioned in Scripture about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul even says, for now we know in part and we see in part. When that day comes, when we are in his presence, he says, we will see and know as we have been known. We will behold the, the beauty and the majesty and the awesomeness of the Lord. And that thing that the Romans said, don't think about that stuff that's on the road ahead. Only think about now. That thing on the road ahead got into their minds, and they couldn't get rid of it. Their brains just couldn't stop on it. And Paul's saying, let me teach you a little bit more on that. 
So he expands the thought a little bit by saying this about the practical way of life that you and I live. He says, go on to the next verse. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, which is not exactly what I call a marketing language for, the, for hey, you want to be a Christian? You're probably going to suffer some. But the reality is we all suffer anyway. It's how we suffer that makes the difference. So in the sufferings that we have, if we don't have them, we will have them. If we're coming out of them, well, chances are we might get a break, and then there might be more on the road ahead. And Paul frames that in hope because we know that the sufferings we have produce perseverance. You don't run away from them. You just ask God in the middle of them, Lord, just help me to persevere, to be grounded. And our culture really is about escapism and feeling good and things that basically say perseverance is, that's for chumps. But if you've ever persevered through something, you know that something else is going on. God is beginning to work in us. Characteristics in that pain, in that suffering, in that dependence where you're praying, Lord, please help me. He is making us more like his son. And that character, going through that little sort of flow chart of ingredients, suffering, perseverance, character, you arrive at a place called biblical hope. That is just this sense. I know I can't see him, but I see him all over the place. And he is real. And the more I see him through the eyes of faith, the more I relax. I think COVID was a test for you guys and myself. God was saying essentially, do you see me? Do you see me? Do you hope in me? Are you hoping in something else? The markets, politicians, all the usual places we go where we say, well, at least I know that's real and that will get me through. And if that's made right, life will be good. And God says, there's nothing there. And you're kind of, you know, sort of laid bare before me. You're like, God, I have nothing left. I hope in you. And I think a lot of us made that sincere declaration Lord Jesus, we don't know what's coming, but we are resting in you. We are resting in your peace that passes all understanding. We are hoping in you. And we trust that if you have called us to be a part of this church, if you have called this church to be the hope of the world, then you're going to keep this church going. And our job is to be faithful to the task, to ask again, what is it that is your mission here on earth, and how is it that in the 21st century we can embody that for the people? around us. And I honestly believe that if we ask that question with all sincerity, which I believe we've been doing and we've done, God will bless this church. Not because we want to be blessed in and of ourselves, but we want to be the place where people find the biblical hope when they can't find it anywhere else. Because there's none out there. There's just a lot of survival. There's a lot of pretend. There's a lot of hoping with anxiety and uncertainty. But in this place, 
there is the spirit of Jesus. Because Paul tells them, and you and I here, these final words. He says, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there is something powerful and alive and dynamic that comes into play because of the bloodstained cross, the empty tomb, and the pouring of the gift of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to be the body. I'll just bring up Amy's name one more time because it's sort of going to embarrass her. That's her hazing. Um, and that is, you know, we, we were hoping and trusting that God would bring somebody. And it was in God's time, not ours. And I really sensed that. And I, it, 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 it's kind of underscored the belief that God has a timing for everything. I had a kind of an acquaintance who went to um, Israel. And he studied at the Hebrew University for a little bit under rabbis. And he brought the American mindset of, well, we have goals, we have objectives, we're going to accomplish this and get this done under this time frame, and it was just all very mapped out. And the rabbi's just sitting there shaking his head. Like, you Americans, you know, you think that's how God works. He said, we have key moments and ideas in Scripture that define how we think God makes it work. And one of them is Egypt. And essentially what the rabbi said was, life is more like this. You're going to have 10 years of Egypt, which means that you're going to have, or 10% of your life will be Egypt, struggling, stressed, striving, hoping, disappointment, brokenness, you name it. There'll be 10% where you are in the promised land, and life is good. And the rest of the time is in between. It's that in-between time, that 80% time that God says, I'm doing stuff here. You're not seeing it. It's my timetable. It's not your timetable. But you've got to trust me. You've got to hope in me because I am reliable. And as a church, we don't know God's timeline for this church. And as a person with the strange relationships, with people that we want to reconcile with, with health matters that we don't fully understand. We have a timetable. But God says, I have a timetable. And trust me when I say, I am going to make it good. I'm going to make it good. Now Zacchaeus, he saw that. And I like how that section is concluded. It says, on this day, salvation came to your house because the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. You know, back to that story about the submarine. Interesting thing about it was um, the captain, when he became aware that these guys are 17 fathoms down and they're banging out this SOS uh, on Morse code about is there is there hope? The captain said, there is hope. Everything that can be done 
is being done. And he wanted to assure them. Now, the bad news is it didn't, it didn't go the direction that they wanted despite all of their efforts. And there's a couple ways you could look at that. One is you can try to manufacture hope when it's hopeless and kind of live in that space until it bears out that, it, that it's not going to work. Or you can take that thing that you brought into the room and say, God, this person, this need, this thing that I'm struggling with, it's impossible. But based on the resurrection and the hope of glory and the 100% desire that you have to make everything new and right, I'm going to trust you with this, with your timetable and your time frame. And I'm going to do my due diligence by hoping and praying and trusting. And maybe the exercise for you is to start doing that to that thing. Only God knows what the outcome will be. But in the end, God's aim is to make it right. And if we don't pray about it, we don't ask, guessing it's not going to happen. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. How many of you climbed a tree lately? Anybody? Okay. Nobody? Some? Yeah? I don't. No way. I'm not that desperate. But this guy said, I am. And God showed up. And the crowds, they wanted Jesus as a focus of entertainment. And they didn't like the way Jesus was doing things, so they grumbled. They didn't trust. They were cynical. But Zacchaeus said, I've done it all. I've tried it all. I got nothing except to hope in him. And Jesus showed up. You dare to hope to desire something good. You believe that anything is possible with God. And then here's the part where we end. And you expect, you expect God to do something good. There's your hope. And I don't know where you're at with hope as you come into this room, but I'm, I'm challenging those who are not in a good relationship with the Lord to trust that he is there for you, that he forgives you, that he wants to reconcile. But I'm also taking this to those of us who have been here for a while. There's a lot of things that we're hoping for. And I want to ask, is our hope confident that God will show up? I believe he will. I believe he has. I believe he sustained us. And I believe God has even more things in store for a broken church that is being made whole in Jesus. So whether you're a person or whether you're a church, 
our hope is not misplaced. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask uh, Jerry to come up and um, share communion with us. Lord Jesus, hopefully the word that I brought before your people is a biblical hope that we all trust within this room with confidence that you are a God that is trustworthy. You see us as being remade or ready to be remade through your son, Jesus. And we are a work in process. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are for us. And if God is for us, who or what can be against us? And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are for relationships. And you've created those relationships. We are trusting you to heal those relationships. And we know that you are a God who heals our souls, our bodies, our being, our pain, our suffering, our cancer, our addictions, all of them, Lord Jesus, we know you are able to recreate and renew and restore. I want to trust you with the lives of our people and the lives of our people online as, um, as we meet you in that hope. bow with me as we go to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for Leonard's words. We thank you for the story of Zacchaeus. For his simple story of climbing a tree in the hopes to see Jesus. Little did he know that 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 glimpse he was looking for was going to be his reset button. That he was going to be made new. Completely restored. And Father, as we hold this plastic vessel in our hands with a wafer and some juice, it is our hope. It is our reset button. Mark tells of the, of the Last Supper, that he took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he told them to eat. And he took the cup and he told them to drink, that that was the blood of his covenant, a covenant that restores each and every one of us, that that blood was poured out for many. And Father, I just ask at this time, as we take this bread and we drink this juice, that we, that we know we have our hope in you, that you can restore us you will continue to bless us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
stand while you're ready, and we'll close with another song. Give you my trust, Jesus. You are my God, and you are enough, Jesus.
our prayer as we leave here from the from today, God. I pray that you are with us always, that in your presence we live from day to day, knowing you're with us through every situation. We praise you for that, and we're so grateful for that. So I pray from everybody, for everybody as we go from this place, uh, that you just bless them and protect them, protect all of us. Uh, may we put you first in everything and show you to everyone we can. We love you and thank you. Amen. Don't forget, if um, you feel any kind of calling or interest in helping with the youth, to stop by the, the, uh, the studio, even if it's for one time a year.